Welcome to the Capital Beach. My name is Derek Brockbank. I'm the host of the Capital Beach. I'm the executive director of American Shore and Beach Preservation Association. And I'm uh, thrilled today to be talking about the Digital Coast Act and the Digital Coast Partnership. Um, For those that are regular listeners to the American Shoreline Podcast Network, uh, you may have heard a podcast from October uh, with uh, with Tyler and Peter on the Digital Coast, and that was with the Digital Coast, um, the lead, the person who ran the Digital Coast at NOAA. But today we've got some folks who are involved in the partnership and the advocacy coalition that were uh, partly responsible for getting the Digital Coast Act uh, passed and then signed by the president just before uh, the Christmas holiday. So we're going to be talking about that today. It should be a a fun show. This is definitely one of those weedsy shows we talk about. You know, if you want a high-level overview of Digital Coast, um, do check out that uh, podcast that Peter and Tyler did on the ASPN flagship. But today we're going to be really getting into the weeds of of what it takes to to run the uh, Digital Coast and how we got a bill passed in Congress. So um, looking forward to speaking with uh, J.B. Bird and Jason Jordan. Uh, We'll get to them in a sec, but first let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Great. Well, thank you as always to our sponsors. Uh, They allow us to put out this content and put out these podcasts and so really appreciate their support for these efforts. Um, JB, Bird, uh, Jason, Jordan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me. Um, A pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. So, uh, JB Bird, you're you're with a uh, represent the Digital Coast Partnership Advocacy Coalition, and Jason Jordan is the policy director with American Planning Association. Um, and I want to get into a little bit of your backgrounds first, but let's start. Let's do a quick, you know, Digital Coast 101. Um, Jason, maybe I'll, I'll kick this off with you. Do you want to give us a quick? For those who have not heard of Digital Coast or, or know the name but don't know anything about it, why don't you give us a quick 101? What is Digital Coast? Um, why is it important? How is it managed? Sure. So Digital Coast is a really 
innovative approach to federal policy and programs. It's a program run out of NOAA, as, as you indicated, but it's distinctive in that it's something of an aggregator of geospatial coastal data across the federal government. Um, but it's really aimed at the consumers of that information, local governments or others who are trying to make smart decisions based on changing coastal conditions uh, out in the country. So it's very much a program that's leveraging federal assets through NOAA to empower locals to make good decisions. It's got a robust private sector role in the collection of that data. Uh, and one of the things that I, I like most about this program is that from its inception, NOAA really focused on going to the end users and have consistently sort of brought that customer and user voice into how the program has grown and evolved over, over the years so that you've got the people who are the actual end users who are driving how the program works, which doesn't sound particularly innovative, but certainly is uh, somewhat distinctive in terms of the way NOAA uh, has not only brought together these federal assets, um, but really engaged the partners, and I know we're going to talk more about the partnership in a second, but really engaged the partners in figuring out how do we scale this? How do we uh, craft the materials and provide the training in a way that ensures that we're not just throwing data out into the universe, but we're actually listening to the folks who are going to use it to make those decisions. Um, awesome. Thank you. Uh, JB, Jason talked about this being a geospatial um, data set or, or a tool for geospatial data. Um, maybe I'll ask you to take this, take us even a little bit simpler for those that might not fully understand. What does a geospatial tool mean? What, what, are, what does Digital Coast include? Sure. Uh, so this is a, a good way to, to kind of define surveying and mapping and geospatial data. This is a visualization tool. And typically how it originates is through a data collection process. Uh, those are the folks that I, rep re I represent, surveyors, mappers, geospatial data collection professionals. That data then gets plugged into a geographic information system, a GIS system. And then in the case of uh, what, what the Digital Coast is all about is a, a platform, a portal for that, that ge geographic data to be visually represented and to be easily identified and pluggable, tappable, clickable by the end user community. So it's it's one it's one thing to collect the data. It's another thing to to digitize it and make it into a user friendly format, as Jason highlighted. That's great. And I will speak on behalf of my organization, ASBPA. We haven't been uh, directly involved in Digital Coast, but I know our users, our our members, use Digital Coast all the time. It is a you know, just that one-stop shop for all things related to coastal data. So if you need elevation, if you need um, elevation of land, elevation of uh, water levels, you know, tide information, there's just so much stuff on there that you can find. You know, it's 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 sort of the, I don't know, maybe I'll get sued for saying this, but it's the Amazon of, uh, of Amazon webs or Amazon website of, of coastal data it really has just about everything. Um, okay. Well, JB, Jason, uh, really glad you could join us. We're getting into the weeds on this. Let's, let's hear a little bit about you, what you represent. JB, you mentioned you represent some of the, some of the end users. Do you want to talk about, um, maybe just your background a little bit, who, who you are and, and then the organizations that you help represent, uh, as part of the digital coast? Absolutely, Derek. So, um, my title is Vice President with Miller-Wenhold Capital Strategies, 
And I specialize in government affairs, have been doing this for roughly 19 years, uh, connected to advocacy, policy, and strategic initiatives. I began working on Capitol Hill in the federal policy arena in October of 2001 as an aide to a U.S. senator. Um, currently, I'm registered as a federal lobbyist for the National Society of Professional Surveyors, NSPS, and the U.S. Geospatial Executives Organization, or USGO. Uh, as you highlighted, I'm the organizer of the Digital Coast Partnership Advocacy Coalition. And so that's, that's kind of who I represent and, and how we, we're connected to surveying and mapping and geospatial. Our firm is based in Fairfax, Virginia. And for a long time, I've been working with John Pelletier and Associates. About two years ago, uh, our firm uh, merged with Miller Wenhold. But uh, yeah, basically connected to surveying and mapping and geospatial uh, interest in organizations uh, uh, for the better part of two decades. And I've had the, the pleasure of interacting with JB on both digital coast issues, but also um, 3DEP elevation. So, you know, if you're interested in figuring out the elevation of land, um, that's more mapping that gets done, not just along the coast. And so uh, obviously of interest for coastal folks too. Um, so it's been a pleasure working with you and, and, and getting the inside scoop on some of the, what the surveyors need. Um, Jason, uh, let's pivot to you. I, I, I can't believe our paths haven't crossed before, and maybe they haven't, I've forgotten, but you're the policy director for the American Planning Association. Tell us a bit about what that means and how you got involved in, um, in Digital Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the planning department at at I mean, sorry, the policy department at uh, the American Planning Association sort of focuses on how do we set a policy context to ensure that we get the best possible uh, planning uh, in local communities uh, and regions around the country. Um, so my role really at APA is is to focus on on, on driving policy change. So helping. Uh, work with our members to to craft an agenda, and then uh, on the advocacy side, trying to ensure that state and federal policymakers are providing the right tools and the right investments uh, to ensure that good planning is happening around the country. APA's members sort of run the spectrum. Um, many of them are in local government, but many of them are also in the private sector, working for uh, you know the the companies who are providing services to local governments. We have academics and students. We have citizen planners and local appointed planning officials. Um, you know, but our folks are really focused on those on the ground planning decisions that drive things like land use decisions or uh, development investments, uh, transportation, housing, environmental quality. I'm sure many of your listeners are, are familiar with the role that planning plays in sort of shaping the landscape broadly and thinking about that connection between uh, the natural and built environment. That's really the sweet spot for uh, for a lot of planning. Um, our, our involvement here on Digital Coast goes all the way back really to the inception of the program uh, and the creation of the partnership. So we've been involved in this um, for, for quite a long time. Um, like JB, I spend most of my time kind of focused on the federal portfolio. Um, that's my background. Um, like JB, I um, started out a long time ago uh, now on, on Capitol Hill, um, but have you know, really focused my work around sort of this intersection of how federal policy shapes these local decisions and, and local planning efforts. Um, that seems like a great background to be working on on coastal issues. And I know you're more broadly than that, but where the intersection of 
where the natural environment meets the built environment. I mean, that, that pretty much sums up the coast across the United States. Uh, so we, we, we've sort of touched on this, that um, JB's with a digital coast partnership advocacy coalition. Um, and Jason, you're with that too, but you also are part of the digital coast partnership. Um, can you talk a little bit, Jason, I'll, I'll start with you. Can you talk a little bit about what the Digital Coast Partnership is? Digital Coast is a, is a program or a, a, an effort of NOAA, but as you alluded to begin beforehand, it brings in all these end users. And so is is that who the partnership represents? What What is the partnership and what is your role in, in sort of managing and, and advising on the Digital Coast? Yeah, no, you 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 were spot on. So the, the partnership was created to really give a voice to those end users uh, and to help inform the structure of the program. Uh, JB talked about Digital Coast as a portal. So think of the people on the other end of that portal who are taking this information and then informing their own work. So the partnership was driven by this idea that we would be most effective if we identified the different stakeholders in this process at the endpoint brought them in through the organizations that represent those interests uh, into this conversation. And and so the partnership sort of emerged as the program was developed. And um, somewhat unusually, I think, uh, you know, the the NOAA team and the partnership experts really work uh, hand in hand in in the evolution of the tools, in the creation of the products. Um, And so the partnership itself uh, represents the the range of interest that you would find uh, in these coastal environments where these decisions are being made. So you have planners, you have local government, you have uh, environmental interests, you have uh, uh, builders and developers uh, involved. So it, it you have folks who are ex- have expertise in GIS platforms and different aspects of the natural environment. So it's a it's a diverse group. Um, I think one of the the most interesting parts about uh, the the relationship here, and and I'm glad you set this up by talking about us getting into the weeds because this is really kind of processy, but I think it's important um, as we think about what lessons can be taken from the success of getting this bill signed into law for other coastal issues that we may want to be, you know, advocating for in the future, is, is that, you know, the partnership tends to bring in people who have... Uh, technical expertise, who understand the research that's driving a lot of these decisions, who are on the ground uh, practitioners in these communities. I mean, we have uh, folks who are working in local planning departments and people who are in uh, our research department who are, you know, kind of central to our involvement in the partnership. But we also have the work that JB's been leading in terms of the coalition. Um, and, and the point I want to make here is that these two or these two pieces of the digital coast represent sort of a crosswalk, if you will, of the experts on the substance, as well as the experts on the communications and advocacy end of how we drive change in, in Congress and the, at the federal level uh, with decision makers of all stripes, really. And in my experience, you know, we often tend to get one or the other, right? We either tend to bring our professional expertise, um, our experts who are really steeped in the nuance of this, who may or may not be the right messengers and who may or may not have the perspective of, you know, working in the trenches on Capitol Hill or in communication departments, or we go the other way and we leave it to our uh, our communicators and to our, our advocacy experts. And 
what I think has made Digital Coast successful is that there's been terrific sort of interchange of, of those. So we've been able to deploy the people who understand how the program works, as well as the people who are working to position this and to engage decision makers and elected officials in a way that's allowed us to build uh, a strongly bipartisan partnership around this program uh, allowed us to build, um, you know, the political will to get something signed into law, which is no no small feat these days. So, you know, the partnership sort of serves as this um, uh, customer, end user, intellectual research focused you know, how do we make this thing work? And then you've got the coalition. We're really thinking about how do we build the popular support, the political will to ensure that this program that's doing so much good has the support that it needs, um, you know, to, to, to make it powerful for um, for those communities. Jason, there's that was great. There's just a lot of good thoughts in there about how you both how the digital coast works, but how you make policy um, and how you make sure you have supporting um, policy that supports good programmatic work. So the the partnership, and I, I do actually want to read out all the uh, the partners because there's not that many of them, and I think they're they're names that a lot of us in the coastal community know. So it's American Planning Association, the Association of State Floodplain Managers, Coastal States Organization. National Association of Counties, National Estuary and Research Reserve Association, National State Geographic Information Council, NOAA's Office of Coastal Management, the Nature Conservancy and Urban Land Institute. So as you said, a mix of of, uh, planning, environmental, uh, state and local agency organizations. Um, And those are the folks that are going to be representing the end users of how how Digital Coast can and should work. Um, And then you got the, many of those same organizations, and then you add to it with some end users who are really focused on the advocacy portion. How do you get the political support to maintain Digital Coast? Um, so, you know, you said it really well. I'm just sort of recapping. Um, and let's get into what you mentioned, which is Digital Coast Act. This was largely a success of the advocacy coalition of building the political will and support to um, to advance the Digital Coast. So, uh, JB, I guess I'll turn to you. What was the Digital Coast Act and, and what did it do? Uh, Digital Coast has been around for a while. So w- what was the, you know, what was the point of, of getting a, a bill called the Digital Coast Act passed? Uh, well, Derek, the, the, the quick some uh, summation of what the bill does uh, up until last Friday, when the president signed the bill into to law, the digital coast was a project within NOAA. And so what the, what the bill actually does is it actually codifies the actual project into an authorized program within NOAA. That's, that's chiefly what it does. So I think a lot of your, a lot of the listeners uh, today are already very up to speed on NOAA and on Digital Coast, but the big issue is that this is the legislation that was required to take a prog- a project and turn it into a program. And that what that means uh, down the road would be when it comes to helping uh, NOAA and Department of Commerce try to make the Digital Coast more of a, a robust federal program, we first needed to actually get it authorized. And then when it comes to appropriations and so forth down the road, it, it helps us substantially to help uh, go after more data collection opportunities to help populate uh, Digital Coast and obviously help the end user community as well. Uh, but you know, NOAA's got a really good thing going. It's showed tremendous uh, uh, capability and capacity, 
But the big deal was getting it over the, the finish line was making an actually a codified authorized program. So that we do have a public law number since the president signed it into law. It's PL 116-223. And so moving forward, I think what you'll find is a lot of a lot of references to the public law. What it was actually enacted was a bill, the number was S1069. So we won't actually have a copy of the official public law uh, for a couple of weeks now, but folks can can follow at home and, and check on congress.gov and just type in S1069 for the actual legislative language. I just want to pick up on, on one point that JB made because I know it was a big driver for APA's interest in, uh, in ensuring that, you know, this, this was signed into law. Um, and, and that is that when you've got a, something that's a project, you, you know, it's, it's a pure creation of administrative will, right? So, um, at any point, uh, someone could have come in at NOAA and and gotten rid of the program without congressional engagement or oversight. I mean, it, it existed um, as a great idea, but didn't have, as, as JB pointed out, that sort of standing and statute. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, a, of an old line from, from President Reagan about the closest thing to eternal life on earth is a federal program. Well, we've got one now, right? So, um, you know, part of what we have been focused on is ensuring that there's a little, a little of that Reagan-esque eternal life for Digital Coast. And, and that's really, I think, something to be celebrated because it gives us this, this sense of continuity beyond the whims of any individual uh, administration. Um, and uh, also gives us what um, back in the day on Capitol Hill used to be referred to as a hunting license to go into the appropriations process, the funding process on an annual basis, uh, and try to build uh, you know, additional investment, additional support for the program. Well, let's dig into that. Let's dig into the funding. Uh, so Digital Coast as a, as a project um, was not granted or did not have its sort of own line item in NOAA's budget. So how has it been funded? And then did the Digital Coast Act provide a specific uh, authorization amount? And and what do you think the chances are of that uh, materializing in the, in the near term? And I'll throw that open to either of you. I don't know whoever feels best suited to talk about. Well, funding. how about this, uh, Jason? Why don't you take the first half and I'll take the second half of the question. So can you, Jason, can you talk about how it's currently funded and I'll talk about how it will be funded in the future? Well, I can certainly say this, um, you know, the way it has been, <clears throat> excuse me, the way it's been funded previously, because it, <clears throat> because it was a project, uh, you know, it's been funded through uh, coastal services uh, programs at, at NOAA. So it didn't have that, that line item associated with it uh, in, in the appropriations process, in the budget process. So, you know, it was funded as part of a broader suite of activities uh, at NOAA. JB, you may be more uh, directly uh, knowledgeable ab- about, you know, the the exact portfolio and the exact funding levels um, than I am. But but that's essentially how it was, was supported um, previously. Right. So, Jason, uh, my understanding is that up till now, uh, that the Digital Coast project had 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 an annual funding stream of, of roughly four to five million dollars. Uh, maybe twenty percent of that came a fe- from a federal source, primarily NOAA, and they would cobble together funding. But then they would also work with state and local government, a lot of the stakeholder community, to drive um, 
additional funding from state and localities. So in the truest sense, from its, its uh, start as a project, it's, it's always been a, a fantastic model for partnership. And it truly is a public-private partnership, as, as Jason alluded to, because you have strong federal leadership from NOAA and their very capable staff in Charleston, South Carolina. And then what they've done, again, is to work together with their, their other federal agencies, but also state and local stakeholders, and then also use the private sector for, for data collection so that you, you really hit both the data collection community, but also coordinate strongly with the end user community. So that that that's how basically over the last uh, gosh decade or so, uh, Jason, uh, it's relied on mostly non-federal uh, funding. JB, that's such a great point. I, I appreciate you you making that um, because it it does point out that this has been a very entrepreneurial program, uh, you know, inside of NOAA, um, and that the people who have been benefiting have been working collaboratively. Uh, to help, you know, they've got skin in this game too, right? Because as you point out, there have been these um, these public-private uh, nonprofit sector engagement uh, funding, and, and it's been a real kind of bootstrap operation. I mean, when you you talk about three or four million dollars, um, that's that's not even a rounding error in, in in federal terms. So you know what they've been able to accomplish with. Uh, through that kind of entrepreneurial approach uh, and and fairly limited funding is 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 pretty um, pretty significant. And and uh, Jason, let me just uh, get to the back end of the question about what does the bill do as far as authorization number? Uh, at the very end of the bill, the final section, there is an authorization for four million dollars a year. And Derek, I was uh, before we we set this up, I took a look at the history of the different bills that have been introduced over the years, because this really has been a, a decade long effort. And I took a look at the first bill from 2010 and that house bill, when it was first introduced, did have an authorization for a hundred million dollars a year. And that was really when we were kind of brainstorming with our friends and Noah and other folks that were connected to try to see what would be actually a definition uh, financially for a robust program for Digital Coast, we did kind of plot out that it was going to be roughly $100 million. Now, over the last decade, due to a lot of budgetary and political considerations, uh, that number has, has dropped to $80 million, down to zero, no authorization whatsoever. And then as we were getting closer to the finish line with the bill, the Congressional Budget Office, CBO, did place a score for the bill at $4 million a year. And so while we've kind of bounced around on different numbers, it wasn't until CBO placed a score for it. And then politically through the different committees of jurisdiction, it made sense then to put the authorization in, but that's, you know, that's just a starting point for appropriations. But down, you know, like I said, when we originally kind of conceived of putting the bill together to authorize the project into a program, uh, it looked like we, our original brainstorming session was for a hundred million dollars a year. Interesting. It's a quite a disparity, but it seems to me that 
part of what Digital Coast has been so successful at is this partnership where you're getting input from state agencies, from local uh, agencies, from uh, private entities. And certainly if you go onto their website, there's tools and information from various other federal agencies too. So, you know, it, maybe if Noah was doing it all single-handedly, it might be that much. But as you're bringing in the, the expertise and, and data and knowledge from local and other feds that you can drop that price a little bit. Um, is there any concern that uh, now that it is a official program under the watchful eyes of Congress with an official uh, authorization, that there could be some, I don't know, congressional meddling? I know sometimes agencies, if they have smaller projects, like to just continue working on them because that means Congress can't come in and tell them how to spend their money. Um, is there any concern that there could be some, you know, backlash from a congressional oversight or, or, you know, Congress says you can't do something because we're not funding it. Whereas previously it had just been sort of changed from the couch cushions of Noah's office of coastal management. Let me, uh, let me jump in there first, Jason, and, and please, uh, tell me if I'm off base here, but when we took a look at having to move from just a house bill introduced bill to a Senate bill, uh, at that time, I believe Senator Baldwin uh, from Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin, the lead uh, sponsor in the Senate, uh, she was a part of the Senate Appropriations Committee. And over the different times she's had a chance to introduce the bill from one Congress to the next, she reached out to her colleagues, um, typically from coastal, coastal states, whether it be uh, oceanic or Great Lakes states, and ask them to co-sponsor the bill. It just so happened that at least half of those, if my math is correct, are also appropriators on the Senate Appropriations Committee. And then I'd be, I'd, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't mention that Mr. Ruppersberger, the lead uh, sponsor of the House bill, uh, Dutch Ruppersberger, Democrat of Maryland, uh, he's also an appropriator. And so it, it helped out our chances uh, at the first to have obviously some interest from, from uh, strong leadership of members of Congress and senators from coastal states, but it also helps reinforce maybe next phase of, of funding that we have a strong base of appropriators that are already firmly interested in the concept of digital coast. Yeah, I, I agree, JB. I would just add to that, you know, if you look at the bill text itself, um, it anticipates the model continuing. So it's not a shift in statute to relying strictly on congressional appropriations to support this program. It very much encourages and sets into place the framework that's been established of being a little more entrepreneurial and engaging the partners, engaging users in a different way, which I think maybe gives it a slightly different uh, uh, standing as as we go forward in, into you know seeking additional appropriations uh, in in the future. I also think Derek, you know, you make a good point about the double edged sword at times of congressional involvement. But I think with a program like this, it, you know, we're we're sort of playing a long game. I mean, JB mentioned we we're at this for ten years to get the bill signed, but that's really a starting point for for kind of the future of the program. And the future of what we we think NOAA can be doing, and what the federal entire federal portfolio can be providing um, for for coastal communities, and so I think it's it's valuable 
to have that congressional buy-in, to have people who understand on Capitol Hill what's what's happening with a program like this, who who get the value of it, um, I, and I think that outweighs the potential for you know uh, oversight or meddling or whatever you want to call it later on down the line. That it, it it's it's important in some instances, and I think this is one to uh, to use the legislative process to raise the profile and build that foundation of political support for for the program so I, I see that as outweighing you know the potential for you know uh, language being inserted into an appropriations bill uh, at some point down the road so it, it seemed to me that the the benefits in this case um, outweighed you know potential drawbacks and, and Jason, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And, and Derek, what I'll say on top of that is the, the success stories in the federal government for this kind of activity, they're, they're few and far between. And there's, there's, this really is a model uh, project, but now program. And so when you have additional buy-in from other federal agencies, but you know the voices of state and local stakeholders continue to be very positive about this and Digital Coast oriented, I think that breeds a, a very positive outlook. Uh, many, many voices singing the same tune. And so harmony between the federal agencies hopefully will will, will be heard from a, the Appropriations Committee. And as Jason said, this is just a starting point. Yeah, I think that's probably, at least if you're looking at this in terms of what lessons can be learned, is probably one of the most important ones. You guys have the, the sort of users, you've got the advocacy side, um, and I think making sure that everyone understands within your coalition that this is the Digital Coast Act was not the end goal. It was a step on, in the process. Um, I think often when I've seen, uh, you know, something be authorized or Congress come in and, and the stakes get changed, it's because the, the users or the advocacy group sort of says, great, we got our bill passed. We got our appropriation this year. Now we don't need to worry about it anymore. And it seems like you guys are really thinking about this as an ongoing effort, needing to continue to, to drive that um, that communication, which seems great. Uh, I think it's a, a valuable tool, and I, I hope not. I hope that the partnership will continue to be driving this forward. Um, so I, I guess we've, we've dug into a lot of different things here. Is there anything else that either of you would like to share about either the act itself or, or the partnership or the advocacy coalition that sort of has helped lead this forward? Anything else that you wish I'd ask but haven't? Well, I, I would just um, offer up that I think, you know, this, this benefits a whole range of federal data programs outside of Digital Coast. Um, in, in the sense that, um, you know, it's bringing data to life in a way that touches, touches people uh, in, in a way that's maybe more approachable and understandable than some of, uh, some of the data programs, you know, when you just consider them as a sort of standalone technical thing. I, you know, one of the things that I like about this program that I think is something that we build on to, to build more support for a whole range of federal data activities, as well as the application of that data to, to communities, is that this is for a lot of people where the uh, you know the important insights and decision making uh, role of data comes into play. So this is not you know in planning we we you know ha- are staunch supporters of the whole range of federal data activities, but I think sometimes that can feel like data for the sake of data for people who aren't using it in the way that planners maybe use it on on a routine basis. So uh, not only do I think 
you know, this is a is a starting point for building support for Digital Coast itself. It, it, it's a way of um, improving support, building more support for a whole range of, of federal data activities. I, I also would would be remiss if I didn't say that you know, Digital Coast. I think is is a model as as JB mentioned for how the federal government can be a better partner um, with local communities, but it's it's also a bit of a model for how we can break down what is too often a sort of um, easy oppositional framework for how we think about environmental stewardship uh, and in coastal regions in particular, where we see this as a trade-off between, you know, economy and environment too often, I think, you know, what what Digital Coast allows us to do is really see how those things can work together and how we can make smart decisions that allow us to, you know, uh, make decisions for the future that benefit all of our values, right? Protecting uh, sensitive places and beautiful places, meaningful places, but also making decisions about the future for growth and development in a community that are smart and resilient and all the things that um, the listeners of this program would agree uh, are, are hugely important. So, you know, it's a, it's a small program in many ways, but I think the impact of it is, is much larger. Well, Jason, that seems like a fantastic way to sort of close out this program. I think that is, you know, as you said, the goal of what most of our listeners are is to uh, find that balance of the coast. The coast has so many different values and how can we maximize all their values? And I think Digital Coast gives uh, many of us the tools to do that and the tools and the data to do that. So um, before we leave, I always like to get a little insight into what inspires us, uh, this show is for and by and, and listened to by coastal professionals um, or, or folks that consider at least have part of their careers as coastal professionals. And, and that includes you guys. So what inspires you? How do you keep going out at day to day? What is your what is your favorite coast or beach or place to visit along the coastline that really just keeps you going every day? Well, I'll start and, and, and JB, you can you can jump in, um, you know. Uh, there are a lot of coastal places that come to mind when you ask that question. I'm sort of struck thinking about it, at how many places are personally meaningful that have, you know, a coastal component to them. So it's really hard to choose just one. Um, but I'll mention one, um, and that is a place called Driftwood Beach on Jekyll Island off the Georgia coast. Um, it's It's sort of uh, tucked away, um, magical with these driftwood uh, trees that have, um, you know, sort of been uh, subsumed into in, in, into the beach itself. Um, so it's it's a really it's a really lovely place uh, and and one that has a lot of meaning. Lovely, JB. Hey, yeah, Derek. Uh, so I was most recently at Tybee Island in Georgia, but I'll, I'll say that I, I still play sand soccer in Virginia Beach. Nice. And uh, so I still try to be active. I will say if I could just maybe dovetail back to the previous question on the way out, Derek, uh, one of the things I wanted to highlight is specifically from the, the data collection angle. Uh, these are just some of the uh, examples of where the, the, the survey and mapping and geospatial data collection community uh, through qualifications-based selection and use of the private sector. This is the kind of data that will, will be populating a little bit more robustly. Uh, coastal elevation data, land use and land cover, socioeconomic and human use data, critical infrastructure data, structures data, living resources and habitat data, cadastral data, and aerial imagery. 
So maybe down the road when I'm playing uh, beach soccer at Virginia Beach, there'll be an overhead image, but we see a lot of the planes fly over from time to time. But uh, maybe the next one will be someone doing data collection from the uh, Virginia Beach shoreline. But I appreciate the time, Derek. Oh, well, I'm thrilled to have both of you guys. And yeah, if you have, uh, if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out Digital Coast, absolutely do so. It has so much data from elevation to, as you said, social and recreational uh, economic data. So, so who knows? Maybe, maybe JB's soccer plan on Virginia Beach will be uh, included as a some sort of data point for the economic driver of uh, of the Virginia economy, um, and certainly. Certainly, Jekyll, or sorry, um, uh, Driftwood Beach off Jekyll Island sounds absolutely lovely and maybe needs to be hidden away a bit. But thank you guys so much for joining me. I uh, really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, love the resource Digital Coast. Um, thrilled to learn a bit more about it. Um, thank you so much. Thank you.